since I got the recorder on, remind uh, we are in Hosea chapter 6, and we're going to look at the last half of that, verses 4 through 11. Does anybody need a new handout? Okay. There you go, Catherine. Okay. So, you know, we've been going through the book of Hosea, trying to learn and glean some things from the book of Hosea. And again, it's one of those books that, you know, you don't normally hear anybody talk about. But yet Jesus quotes the book of Hosea several times during his ministry and his life here on earth. And in fact, he's going to... uh, uh, announce or quote Hosea chapter 6 in the in the verses that we go through today he quotes that verse two times in his ministry so i'm like wow again the book of Hosea Christ is using it in his life so we need to pay attention to it so Hosea was God's prophet to um, again i'm going to ask questions see if you guys are paying attention what tribes, what part of Israel did Hosea prophesy to? Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom. Which one? Northern. Northern. Okay. He is is the prophet to the Northern Kingdom. Okay. In fact, he's the last prophet to the Northern Kingdom before they go into exile. Within 30 years of the book of Hosea being written, they are carried away captive into Assyria, the northern tribes. And so this was God's last ditch effort to tell the people, hey guys, straighten up, and if you don't straighten up, you're going to go into captivity. Of course, we realize they didn't do that, did they? And so... uh, he is the prophet to the northern tribes along with the, the book of Amos. Amos also was a contemporary of Hosea. Now on the southern side with the tribe of Judah, the, the prophet that would kind of fit in with, with Hosea and Amos is the, is the man Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. So you'll see a lot of the same things going on back and forth. You'll see the same things that Hosea and Amos is telling the northern tribes. Jeremiah is telling the southern tribes a hundred years later. and I mean, it's just almost a repeat, okay? And so let me kind of go real quickly over this first half that we went through last week. Uh, a review it. it. says, the book of Hosea puts an emphasis on the restoration of Israel. So if somebody asks you, so why did God put Hosea in the book? Because it focuses on and tells you that God is going to restore the nation of Israel. And it will throw some clues in there along the way like we saw last week. Okay, And so at the end of chapter 5 and verse 15, we saw that God was finished with Israel until they acknowledged their sins and seek Him. Little did they know that 2,700 plus years, that was in your blank, 2,700 years, would pass. And in the phrase, in their affliction, is a reference to the tribulation. Okay, so I know I'm kind of throwing through this fast. If you need me to stop and repeat something, Catherine, let me know. So Hosea chapter 6, we talked about last week, and in verse 1, it was the key to the whole chap- to the whole book. It says, come and let us return unto the Lord. That's the whole purpose, 
to the book of Hosea. And yet we, we study the book of Hosea and we realize they did not do it. Okay. And so, um, in fact, let's just go ahead and read verses 1 through, um, one through uh, 3. Okay, and then we'll kind of review this first half. It says, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, he will heal us, he hath smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us, in the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. And then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, and as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. So we saw that last week. So uh, we saw that the Jews will return into the land. That goes in your first two blanks under uh, point number one. We saw there that he has torn them, so he's going to judge the people. He has smitten them, which means beaten them down. And after how many days? Two days. The Lord will revive them. Now there's some prophecy right there, and we realized, and we talked about that last week, those two days, it's like a thousand days to the Lord. So it says right here, after two thousand years... So, how close are we? We've already went 2,000 years. So, we are right there. And so, it gives us some clues of when he's coming back in the book of Hosea. After two days. And in the third day, the Lord will raise them up. So, that goes in your blanks. In the third day, the Lord will raise them up. Now, we didn't talk about this last week, but third day also ties right back into the resurrection of Christ. Every time we see that in the Bible, we'll see. You said that, that's the first thing I thought of, the resurrection. The third day is always tied to that, but yet third day here is a mention of three days, 3,000 years. So on that third year, that 3,000 years, he will be, he will come. Okay? Because the first one says after two days. This one says in the third day. So in the beginning of that third millennium, or he will come, that 3,000 years. And they will live in his sight during the tribulation and millennium and eternity. And I think I made a big deal about this, and I taught D2, and I made a big deal about in D2, is that the Jews get a physical kingdom. They get the land of Israel. They get the promises that God gave King David. They get all that. That's their inheritance. But for a Christian, that's not our inheritance, is it? Our our inheritance is basically Christ. We get married to Christ. Think about that. We will be married to the God of the universe. How great is that? Okay, how great is that going to be? Okay, and so it says, the last point there under number one says, They will know the Lord's doing, for He will come in the morning after a rain. And we tied all those back to the tribulation that it will be, uh, that Christ will come, will actually be in the morning. He will be the morning. He is the sun. Uh, He is the morning star. He will come in the morning, first light, and it will be after a rain. And we made a and, and the deal about why is it rain so important? Because it hasn't rained for three and a half years at that point. So, so with this saying, um, he's coming in the morning and after a rain, why do people think that he's going to come in the, in the 
fall in the evening because it says like a thief in the night and then this one, you know, I mean, some people say because it says. Okay. So. Now I've told you, whatever I know, I'm going to throw out in this class. So let me just tell you. Okay. He comes specifically and sits down here at the second coming. But he also comes during the tribulation at least once or twice for his people. Really? Yes. So we can study that later. But so when they talk about some of those things in the tribulation, they're talking about, you know, uh, um, like you just mentioned, that may not specifically be a reference to the second coming. It may be a reference to basically what the Bible talks about is a rapture that takes place during during the tribulation. There's going to be more than one rapture. We are raptured out at the beginning of the tribulation, but in that tribulation, there's going to be a rapture of the Jews also. Really? Yeah. First so, fruits, and the second. Yeah. Right. So there's at least at least two that I can pinpoint. We are the harvest. Okay. There's a gleanings, and then what's the other one, Roger? You mentioned there's at least. Okay. Okay. So if I I got to go back and remember now. So we got the first fruits. They're already in probably uh, Abraham's bosom. Went out with Christ. You got the. Uh, Harvest, which is the church, but you're, there is going to be a rapture of some tribulation Jewish saints in the middle of the tribulation. So we are told to rightly divide our Bible, and so we don't want to apply what goes to one of those raptures and one of those times when when people in the tribulation are raptured out with when he comes. So I think that's what we do. They will go at the end of the, well, in the middle of the tribulation. The, tribulation. the middle of the tribulation. That's kind of the separating them more. I didn't know they were raptured up. Well, there is, there is a rapture in there, so we'll, we'll talk about that maybe at some point. The harvest, which we are right now. Right. And then what? Gleanings. gleanings. And I believe the gleanings are split up in two parts. And I'm getting way outside my realm. What I'm trying to say is this. Sometimes we reference the second coming with another time that Christ is coming. Okay. Okay. Oh, man. Yeah, that'll make your head spin, won't it? Okay, so... (laughs) Okay, so where are we at? So, we've got the come in the morning, we got after the rain. The other thing you mentioned was, a lot of people believe he's going to come at the Feast of Trumpets. Um, Maybe. There's two, two, there's two thoughts on that. It's going to be either at the Feast of Trumpets or at Pentecost. And both of those are guesses. Um, depends on who you talk to. Uh, I'm not real dogmatic on either one. They've already had Pentecost. Pentecost is in the spring. It's 50 days after Easter. Okay. And the other one is, is uh, the last feast for the Jews in the fall. I'm kind of torn on it because, number one, who gets raptured out? The Gentiles, the Gentile church. So why are we raptured out on a, on a Jewish feast? That's my thinking. But that's the two, two areas of thought. But, again, when Christ comes back and sits down in Jerusalem and he, and he splits the Mount of Olives in two, it will be in the morning, no matter when it happens, and it will be after a rain. Because that's what the book of Hosea says. Okay?
So I got it because I'm thinking there for a minute. I thought you said there was going to. I mean, my brain thought that you meant there was going to be another Pentecost, and I said, wait, no, we had that, no, and but now you explaining that it's so many days after Easter, and right. the other ones in the fall, and uh, I got it now. But and now I'm saying, okay, so he could come. Hosea says. Uh, he says it'll be in the morning after rain. Right. And we'd have to go to another place or two to find mm-hmm. whether it's at the Feast of Trumpets okay. or whether it's at Pentecost. I'm just telling you that's the two okay. main thoughts. Okay. So just stick that in the back of your head. Okay, so a lot here. Okay, a lot here. And so we're, so this chapter is a little different than the rest of the chapters because the rest of the chapters start off with doom and gloom and then they end up with God's going to restore them. This one starts off with... God's going to restore him, and then guess what happens? Now it goes back to doom and gloom. So, But we can learn from that if we're paying attention, okay? So we're going to read verses 4 through 11, and we're going to wrap this all up today in chapter 6. It says, verse 4 says, O Ephraim, okay, again, in, in the book of Hosea, Ephraim is who? He's referring to the northern kingdom. They just happen to be the biggest tribe. So sometimes he'll call the northern tribes by Ephraim. Okay? So Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew it goeth away. Wow, that's that's a compliment, isn't it? It'd be like, how would you like God saying, Oh, your goodness, Bob, is like the morning dew, but it passes away pretty fast. <laughs> I'm like, no. I mean, I mean it, it's, it's like they've got a little bit of goodness, but it fades. Okay? He goes, Therefore, have I hewed them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Now let me read that again, because that is key. God says, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So let me, real quickly, I'm going to beat on this, for I'm not beat on it, but mention it several times. God is more worried about your relationship with Him than by the things you do. Okay, and I'll just throw this out. So, uh, our team in Oaxaca, Mitch and Jody and, and uh, uh, Luke, Luke Fleshman, uh, um, uh, Caleb Larkham, and Mickey. Mickey. What's Mickey's last name? Fox. Fox are all on the way to Mexico to work with. Um, Joe Hendricksman and Amy is actually in South. Africa right now, and so that's where all the stuff's hitting right now. So we're going to have to pray that she gets back home at some point because a lot of places are locking down people from South Africa. And let me just tell you, a week ago, South Africa was just doing great, no problems. And now all of a sudden, major, major problems. And all of a sudden... uh, I won't go any farther, but I mean, it's just interesting how... They had no problems, and all of a sudden they do. They also had the lowest amount of vaccinations, but guess what's going to happen? But it's a mess. So anyway, but she's in South Africa, and she won't be able to get home unless God works something out. Okay, so my point in all that was, so God is more worried 
about Joe Hendricksman's relationship with him than he is all the missionary work that he does. And that's hard for us to grab. Okay? And the same way with us. God is more worried, and I don't say worried's not the right word. He is more concerned about his relationship with us, our relationship with him, by the service or the ministry that we do. Yes, we come and we clean the church. Yes, we come and and we're going to do Christmas boxes. Yes, we come and we do all kinds of things. We work in Bible school. We put Bibles together. We do all this stuff. But God's more worried about our daily relationship and walk with Him than He is with all the stuff that we do. And that's really hard to get that in our mind. But that's what He basically says here. He goes, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of me, He says, more than burnt offerings. He goes, guys, you did a little more offerings than you need, burnt offerings than you should have done. You should have been praying and, and working with me. Verse 7, but they like men have transgressed the covenant. They ha- there have they dealt treacherously against me. Gilead is a city of them that work iniquity and is polluted with blood. And as troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent. Now that's pretty bad, and I've mentioned that a week or two ago. When the when the religious hierarchy, when the priests get involved with the magistrates or the government, when they connect in an evil way, it's bad. They have priests being the robbers now. Do you think God is not upset with these people? It's not his heart's not broke. He says. Um, and as troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent, for they commit lewdness. I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is whoredoms of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Also, O Judah, he hath set an harvest for thee when I return the captivity of my people. So let me try to unpack some of this a little bit here. So basically we're talking about it went from God's going to restore him and it just slid back to let me show you your evil ways again, guys. And so we need to learn from that because in Hosea chapter 1 through 3, remember Hosea was told to marry somebody? Who was it? He told? Gomer. Gomer. And Gomer was a prostitute. And he says, marry a prostitute. Am I glad I'm not Hosea? And yet, that whole thing went south, right? She stepped out on him, committed adultery on him, finally left. That whole thing was a object lesson for the rest of the people. It was an object lesson for Hosea to understand just how hurt God was because of his people whoring after other idols and going after other idols. And so it was an object lesson. Hosea was an object lesson for who? Let me just ask you, who was was Isaiah the object lesson for? Israel. But yet, who else? Not just Israel. Us. We need to be paying attention. So when we get to the point like, oh, Hosea doesn't have anything to do with me. Uh, you better stop and take a look at it and see what can we learn from that. You got Romans fifteen four says things are written a four time were written for our learning. All scripture There you go. So yes. This problem with the priest being out robbing people along the road, 
Doesn't that kind of go back to, uh, was it Eli that had the two sons? Mm-hmm. That were... They were perverting the sacrifice. Yeah, they were taking all the, the meat and they wouldn't let it be sacrificed. They'd taken the choice pieces of the meat that was being sacrificed and pulled it out for their use. They were threatening you if you didn't turn it over. Right, and if you didn't do it, they'd take it by force. <laughs> and and then they were, you know, they were having sex with all the women coming. I mean, it was a mess. So when the priests are evil, the people are evil because they just teach them to do what's wrong. So it's a object lesson also for us, okay? It should have been an object lesson for the nation of Judah because it took them a hundred years to get to this point and they just did the same thing that the northern tribes did. So God puts things... In, so, so you're always wondering, so why did God put Hosea in the book? For a lesson for us, for we, for us to learn from, for the Israelites to learn from, and I mean, when God does it, He does a good job doing it because He's going to hit us all. He's going to get the Jews at that time point. He's going to get the Jews all the way up until now. He's going to get the Gentiles in that, and He's going to get the Jews in the tribulation. He's going to all work from that. That's how deep God's word is. It's going to fit them all if they're paying attention, if they're rightly dividing it, and they're seeing what applies to them. So. We're going to look at their evil ways. Okay, so Ephraim and Judah's goodness is temporary. Remember, I, I saw uh, we looked at that. It's like the morning dew. And he goes, I sent you my prophets. The bullet points you have on your handout says, I sent you my prophets. I have given you my words and I have sent to you my judgments. Wow. He goes, I have sent to you my prophets. And so what did the prophets do? They gave... God's word to the people. So I would liken a prophet to a preacher today. If you're preaching the word of God, you are giving God's words to the people, just like the prophets. And remember, the prophets are like the Marines in the Bible. The prophets were some crusty, tough guys. I mean, look at look at Hosea, told to marry a prostitute. Isaiah was told to walk around naked. Oh my gosh. I mean, these guys were like the Marines that God would send in because the priest wasn't doing what's right. The king wasn't doing what's right. The people wasn't doing what's right. They weren't listening to those people, so God had to send the special forces in, which was the prophets. Every time, now you can check me out on this. You told us once before that every time we was really messing up, wasn't listening, God sent a prophet. That's right. Now check me out on that. I, don't, I have not checked everything out, but every time I see a prophet show up, things are a mess. Because if God's Levites and his priests and everything is working like they should, the society should be working great. Things should be rolling. People should be learning about God's word. People should be, you know, the right sacrifices are being done. Everything, God put everything in place that they needed for that society. But yet when they started breaking down, God goes, okay, i got to send my special forces in, the prophets. So keep that. when you read through the Bible, when you see a prophet, just kind of check around. How's the nation of Israel doing? How are the people doing? If they're doing what's right or are they not? And I will bet you that... They're always in disarray. So keep that in the back of your mind. So he goes, I've sent you my prophets. And I today I would liken it, I've sent you my preachers. I've given you my words. Do we have his word today? Okay. And then he says, I have sent you my judgments. Ooh, now we don't want to think about that. 
what judgments are our is our nation going through right now because we're not obeying the book? Probably a lot. And fact is, now get this, he told the Israelites when they came out of Israel, I'm throwing this in for free, I'm not, I didn't even have this in my notes. When they came out of Israel, if you will obey me, if you will do my commandments, and if you live by my statutes and my judgments, you will not have any disease in your land. Do you guys remember that? That's what he told them. Now I'm sitting there looking at our country and I'm like, do we have any disease? Do we have any ailments? It's everywhere you look. Is that God judging us? Uh, I'd say it probably has something to do with it. But that's what he's telling these guys. He's, he's basically goes, I've sent you my prophets, I've sent you my words, and I've sent you my judgments, and yet you're not paying attention to them. Okay? Turn over in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, and let's look at 11 and 12. And this is a kind of, we use this in discipleship. It says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Okay, so we know that, we teach that in discipleship, that once you become God's son, and you're doing what's wrong, God's going to chastise you. He's going to allow things to happen in your life that are not pleasant because He wants you to come back. He wants you to do a 1 John 1, nine and get things right. Well, the same thing was going on here. He, he wanted them to come back to Him. And all through the book of Malachi, all through the book of, of the major prophets, He would send judgments and calamity on the nation and yet they would not return to Him. And, but that's what he wants. He goes. He, he even told Malachi, he goes, tell the people, he goes, I allowed all this stuff to happen to you. And what's amazing, and I did it so you guys would come to me and cry to me like you did in, in Egypt when you were under bondage with Pharaoh. But all this stuff happened to you, and yet you didn't even come to me. Well, they wouldn't trust in him, number one. Okay? So he goes, I've sent you my judgments. Okay? And then in verse 6, like I said, this is a key verse back in Hosea. And if I don't get anything across today, this is one I want to get across. It says, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. He goes, basically, guys, on your handout it says, you went through the wor- you only went through the motions of worshiping me. They went through the motions. And that's not what God wants. God does. You know, I was talking to a guy at work the other day and, and um, he asked me something about where I went to church. And I go, I go, I go to Harrisonville. He goes, well, there's a great big church right around the corner from you. The Church of the Resurrection, that big Methodist church. And I'm like, I'm like no. I'm like, uh, um I can't remember what I said. I, I think I said something. The church I go to, I think, teaches a little more Bible. And then I had to go back and ask the guy. I said, I'm sorry if I offended you. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to slam 
Church of the Resurrection. I just, I've, I've been to that church, and I have friends that attend that church, and I, I just go to a church that teaches more Bible. And uh, he goes, yeah, but he goes, that church does a lot of good because it's got a lot of people to come to church. And I just had to bite my tongue mm-hmm. because going to church doesn't make you right with God. You know, any more than, you know, sleeping in the garage makes you a car. I mean, it's not going through the motions that's going to make a difference. It's your relationship with God, okay? And here, these people were going through the motions, but not worshiping God, okay? And so, Jesus quotes this passage two times. And again, I'm right. Carrie asked me last night, she goes, Do you got enough? I mean, you're just going to finish up chapter 6. You got enough material? You're going to ask me that again? It's weird because I could stop right, I could keep going on this, but I, I want to get through this. So Jesus uses this two times, and if you've taken notes, the first time's in Matthew 9, 9 through 13. The second one is in chapter 12 and verse 7. And we really see it in your handout. I think I have quoted there, 1 Samuel fifteen twenty-two. So let's go look at that one. I don't think I'll look at the other ones for sake of time. But go back to, to the 1 Samuel passage. 1 Samuel 15, and you probably already know where I'm going because it talks about uh, sacrifice here. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22. It's when Saul was told to wait for Samuel... And he would do a sacrifice, and Saul didn't wait. Verse 22 says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Okay, so if you know that passage, King Saul was told to wait for the prophet Samuel to get there, and they would do a sacrifice. But but Saul was, or Samuel was delayed, and so King Saul decided he would do the sacrifice. Well, number one, that was against what God said. Number one, you're not a pro- you're not a priest, you're not a prophet. You're the king. Kings do not do. The sacrifice. They may bring the sacrifice, but they don't actually present the sacrifice. So he took on the 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 order of a priest there, and because of what he did there, God took the kingdom from him. If you go back and study it, this was huge with the Lord. He goes, "It's better to obey God than to go through than to do a sacrifice." Okay, he told the king, "It's better to obey God than to do uh, a work for God." And that's what we see here in the same passage in Hosea. He says, I, uh, you went through the motions, but you really didn't worship me. Verse 6 again says, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of me, God, more than burnt offerings. I want you to obey what I say, not just go through ritualistic offerings. Okay? Hearken means to sacrifice. To hearken. Um, somebody help me out. Hearken means to, to yeah, listen to what I say. Yeah, having a brain freeze there for a minute. And to hearken. 
listen to my listen and to God's words. Of the rams. Yeah. So, so as opposed to right. God says, I want you to obey what I said instead of doing church stuff. That's what he's saying. Now that hits home with us. Okay? Just because you go to church, just because you clean the toilets, does not make you right with God. Even though those things need to be done, what does God really want? He wants your prayer life with Him. He wants your relationship with Him. And again, it took me a long time to get that figured out. God is more concerned about your relationship than what you do. Now, you will do because you have the relationship. But when you get those switched around, and there's a lot of people in our country, a lot of people in churches are like that. They're faithful, they go to church, they'll do things. But if they don't have a relationship with God, it's just all its all religion without, without a faith. Okay, So, again, Jesus quotes that two times to the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that, guys, you're going through religious rites when you should be worshiping God. He says that both in Matthew. And then the next bullet point says, But you, like men, have transgressed. Transgressed means to pass over or ignore my covenants. Okay? And you go, well, do we do that today? Do people do that today? They pass over God's stuff? Turn over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. And we'll start with verse 1. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers. Have you ever thought what a truce breaker was? It's one of those, we're reading through this list and we're like, let's hurry up and get through this list because we don't like to see this list. What is a truce breaker? A truce breaker is a treaty breaker. So it's the same thing that he was telling them, you're breaking my covenants. And yet right here he goes, you guys are breaking, you're breaking your truce breakers. You are breaking treaties. Same thing, same words basically. So you men have transgressed, you've passed over, you've ignored, you've broken my covenants. Right here, a truce breaker is someone who breaks God's laws. Okay? And so our uh, next bullet point says, But you, like men, have transgressed. So that goes in your blank. You have transgressed. I already told you that, though, didn't I? Uh, so everybody has that blank. The next one, your evil ways include iniquity. They include murder. They include robbing and lewdness and evil thoughts perpetually. They just go on and on. We see that in verses 8 and 9 of Hosea where we were at. Okay. It says there that the land was polluted with blood and as troops of robbers wait for a man so the company of priests murder in the way by consent for they commit lewdness. Okay. That just breaks God's heart. We see that also in the book of Malachi. If we had time, we'd go back and read Malachi chapter 2, where the priests were just as evil, if not more evil than the people. So you might write that down if you're taking notes. And then God calls their ways horrible. 
in verse 10. He goes, I have seen an horrible thing in the house of Israel. And so, um, you know, I always kind of get a kick out of people that go, oh, well, that person would never do that. Or, or I know that person. They couldn't have done that crime. Or they couldn't do that. And I'm like, every time I hear that, I just cringe because, or cringe because, yeah, we're all capable of doing things. They go, oh, my son, he would, he would never stab anybody. Or, or my, you know, you, you put it out there. Or even me, oh, I would never do that. You know, I'm a good churchgoer. I love Jesus. We have the capacity to do some pretty terrible things in our life. We're all capable of doing it. But if we keep our relationship strong with the Lord, chances are like almost 100% perfect. We won't. But when we stray from God, we're capable of all kinds of bad stuff. He calls their ways horrible. Turn over in your Bible to John chapter 2, and we're going to wrap up here. John chapter 2. Jesus made this statement in verses 23 to 25 that it's kind of always stuck in the back of my head. John 2, 23 says, Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Okay, so he knows what's in the hearts of men. He knows that even on our best day, we're still sinners, and we do evil things. Okay, so in this passage, Jesus was not going to commit himself to this group of people because he knows what's what's in men, sin, and our sin nature. So God calls that horrible. And without Christ, we are sinful, we are evil, and we are horrible. Um, I have a whole list of verses to get to, but I'm not going to. Um, Turn over to Job chapter 25, and I promise we will wrap up with this one. Job 25 kind of gives you a state of man. Just when you think you're all that in a bag of chips, like we've heard people talk about. I think I use that more than Brian does anymore. He used to use that all the time. I got so used to using it, then I started using it, and then I don't hear him use it anymore. Job 25, verses uh, 4 to 6. Let's just read 1 through 6. It says, Then answered Bildad the Shuite, and he said, Dominion and fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places. Is there any number of his armies, and upon whom doth not his light arise? Verse 4. How then can man be justified with God? Very good question. Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm, and the son of man which is a worm. That's pretty bad when somebody compared you to a worm. But, you know, that's what man is without Christ. He is, he is evil. He, he, is, he is nothing. 
is nothing. And yet, I mean, that is doom and gloom. Without Christ, we are this way. But thank goodness Christ has saved us by the shedding of His own blood. He was buried and He rose again on the third day. And because of that, we are now born again. Because of that, we are the sons of God. Because of that, we have an inheritance with Christ. For you talk about God getting ripped. I mean, we get eternal life. We get a glorified body. We get all that. And what did He get? He got us. He must have seen something in us a lot more than what we see. Because when it comes right down to it, we're really not much. But Christ saw what we could be, and He died for our sins. So we're going to call it quits there and wrap things up. So again, we'll probably start Hosea chapter 7 next week. We'll see how doom and gloom that is. But in that doom and gloom, I will tell you, He's going to show you things that will help you. And again, the 2000 day the two days and the three days was crucial in this chapter you probably never thought about showing somebody uh, Christ is going to come back in 2000 years and bring them to the book of Hosea but it's there that's what's so neat about our book it's there if we just look for it so let's pray father in heaven we thank you for your word we thank you for the for the promises in your word we thank you that your word is truthful and it just tells us who we are and yet lord we're sinful beings but it also tells us that you died for us and you have uh, given us eternal life, and that life is through your Son. So we thank you for that. We thank you for uh, the fact that you use us, the fact that uh, you love us, and the fact that you want us to be with you. And Lord, I pray we would do everything in our life to keep that relationship going and do everything that we can to keep that relationship fresh in our life daily and that we live it out in our life. So I pray for that for everyone in here, and I just pray you'd give us a great week and bring us again back. Bring us back again next week. And in Christ's name, amen. All right. Praise God.